Can you join me in giving God praise and thanking the worship team for their service this morning? Good morning to each and every one of you. We're glad that you are here. If you have a Bible, now's the time to grab one of those. Get to Philippians chapter 2. If you did not bring a Bible with you, that's okay. Uh, we've stacked a bunch and chair backs in front of you. I'll get one of those and turn to page uh, 1040. Uh, that's where we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 today. And here in a little bit, uh, I'm going to invite uh, Roxanne up to read today's passage. But um, we're going to give you a couple minutes to find it and uh, get your spot secured there. So three or four years ago, I think, don't hold me that timeline because it's not important. Um, but Corinne and I got into a show uh, called Shark Tank. We only watched it for a couple seasons because every episode is like the previous episode and like the next episode. But it caught our attention for a little bit. And if, you've probably heard of it because it's been on ABC for, I don't know, 97 years or something. Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a reality television show where entrepreneurs come and they pitch their uh, product, they pitch their company to a group of investors called the Sharks. All right, these are super wealthy people uh, who have more money and they know what to do with it. And in, in that, they decided we're going to try to make even more money. Um, and so um, there's always a rehearsed pitch, right? The, the entrepreneur comes in and they make a two to three minute uh, scripted, rehearsed pitch. Um, and really, this is just for the television audience. It's so that we watching can quickly figure out who they are, what they are trying to sell, what they're trying to get invested in, and stuff like that. Because what happens after is what the investors are interested in. Um, what happens after is the sharks, who are the potential investors, they could ask any question they want. And most of these segments run about eight minutes um, before commercial breaks. But I did some research this week. On average, um, what you're seeing is way edited down because the sharks uh, interview these people for about two and a half hours. Um, because they don't invest their money without knowing stuff, right? Um, but what I've noticed, right, and, and, and don't call me an expert because all I'm watching are the edited eight-minute clips, is that every entrepreneur is incredibly passionate about their product, incredibly passionate about their company, and none of the sharks are, ever. Right? They just don't care, right? But instead, as investors, they don't, they don't care how excited you are. There's a series of things they're trying to uncover, and it always seems to be these three things. Number one, they want to know what the margin is. What are you making this thing for, and what are you selling it for? Because if you've got good margin, what that tells an investor is I can make a lot of money on this. Second, they want to know scalability. If you're making 500 of these, could you make 5,000 of them? Could you make 500,000? How would you do that? Can this thing grow and be scalable? Because if you can make a lot of money on one of them, you can make a lot more money on 10,000 of them, right? And the third one that they always dive in on is just uniqueness. What's unique about this product? Is this something that another company who's more established, who has more money than you right now, and who has more manufacturing, they can just steal your idea and do it themselves and do it better than you? Because if that's the case, you're not going to get investment, right? And the ones that got the most investments, right, the ones where the sharks ended up fighting over each other were not just, were not just ideas that had good margins. They were not just scalable, but they were unique, right? They were meeting a need that, or a desire that no one had yet met, or there was a patent in place where their work couldn't be easily replicated or stolen by a bigger company. And when all those things were in place, you'd watch these guys fight, these guys and gals fight over each other to buy in. Now, I didn't tell you all that so that you'd be inspired to go and create a product that has great margin, that is scalable, and has uniqueness so you can get rich. But if you do, remember who told you that come tithing season, please, all right? But I tell you that because... You might not understand this morning just how fortunate you are. Because if you're part of a local church, you get an experience that is incredibly unique in this world that nobody else gets. 
We're in our uh, series called Reboot, and we're, we're going through the phases of, of, of rebooting, reopening this church in response to the pandemic. Uh, one, uh, one sort of phase at a time, and we're excited, and we're going to announce uh, what next Sunday will look like at the end of today, um, because we're excited about what that's going to look like. But in this, we're going through our vision as a church. We're going to do this right. So we've been looking at our vision statement that we exist uh, to glorify God by developing disciples who live for his purposes. Right, and in that, we've been walking through each of the five pillars in our mission statement of how we, how we plan to accomplish this, right? And so we've already looked at this idea that, that we want you who call FB and home to live as ambassadors. We want you to live as people who have been sent by Jesus to the places that you're at. All right, and then we spent a couple weeks looking at just discipleship, this idea of transferring what God has done in your life to somebody else. And we want you to see, by the end of this, how each of these pillars all feed into and feed off of each other. Because today what we're going to start looking at is this idea that we believe that we have been called by Jesus to live in community. Right? And, and what I want you to understand is that discipleship happens within the context of relationships. It happens within the context of community. If we foster the community that we're called to, it will be so incredibly enticing to those who don't know Jesus, it will help us live as those who have been sent by him. All these things feed each other. Now, all human beings are made in the image of God. The Bible is clear from that from the first chapter on. And the God, the God that we are made in the image of is a God who is in constant community and connection in the Trinity. And so when he created us in his image, what he did was he embedded in us, deep in our souls, a need for connection. This is why since the beginning of time, human beings have always created communities. Right? We form community around all sorts of things. We form community around sports teams. We form communities around hobbies. We form communities out of shared interests. We form communities at taverns. We form communities at social clubs, on and on and on. It's a place that we, we all want a place that we're known, a place that we uh, know others, a place that we share common goals and passions. We're all looking for that because God has put that need deep inside of us. But the church of Jesus has had a great advantage the whole time. And the advantage is this. That the community the church is called to create by God is the exact community that God has created us to need. He stacked the deck in our favor. And while that's always been unique about the local church, it's more so now because in our digital age, we have been flooded with all sorts of new counterfeit communities. Right? Online communities that are accessible to us 24-7 at the click of a button and cost you nothing to be a part of. And they're enticing, and they're exciting, and they have a draw, but they are not the real thing, and they're not even close. Because people are hurting everywhere, by the way. Everyone you ever meet has a story, and all their stories involve pain. And yes, it is heartbreaking that people are looking to escape more than they're looking to be healed. But the great hope in that is this, that at least deep down they know what they have isn't enough. And what we have is unique. Because we have Jesus Christ, the one who's more than enough. We have a calling from him to create a community with Jesus at the center. We have an opportunity to relate with one another, to know and be known, to serve one another, to pour ourselves out for this community that Jesus has placed us in. And we've been given a great chance to discover together that the best way to be filled in this life is to empty ourselves. What does the church have that no one else does? It's not just connection. It's not purpose, it's not community, it's not mission. You can find those elsewhere. It's that we have all those things centered around Jesus, who is the Alpha and the Omega, who is the beginning and the end, the one through whom all things have been created, by whom all things are created, and for whom all things are created. 
And so if you're looking for purpose, if you're looking for belonging, if you're looking for connection, if you're looking for joy, if you're looking for identity or hope or peace or strength, all of this is found in Jesus Christ, and all of this is, is experienced in its fullness in the community that he creates in his church. And we're looking this morning at a letter in the New Testament where Paul is writing to a church in Philippi. It was a church that was dear to Paul's heart, that he loved them, uh, and they loved him back. But there was a, there was a small handful of, of people in that church that had lost sight of the type of community that Christ had made available to them and called them to. They were at odds with one another. There was some division. And so in his letter to them, he reminds them of this great advantage. And so I'm going to invite Roxanne Poe up to read today's passage to you. Uh, it would be Philippians Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And like I said, if you have the, Bi the Black Bibles near you, it's page 1040. If you would please stand with her uh, and out of honor for the reading of God's word this morning. Good morning, Roxanne. Good morning. If then there is an encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, United in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. Thank you, Roxanne. Please keep your Bibles open there. We're going to dig in there um, and get quite, quite a bit of detail. So let's pray. Father, this is your word. Uh, these are your people. Uh, this is your time, Lord, and we just, we just ask that you would reign supreme over it, uh, that you would be the one who speaks, you'd be the one who convicts and encourages, that you would move powerfully, powerfully through your word this morning, that it would not return to you void, but it would accomplish everything you've set forth for it to accomplish. We ask you to get the glory out of all of this, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Well, Philippians 2 is a loaded chapter, right? And all Roxanne read for you is for the first four verses. And even in those, there, there is a ton of truth packed into that one little paragraph, right? And there's a lot that's, that's stated outright. There's even more that's implied and inferred from it. But I want you to remember the context, right? The, the focus that Paul has here is the community that Jesus has made possible, the community that Jesus calls us to, and that some of them, and he's going to actually, in chapter 4, he's going to call them out by name, uh, some of them have lost sight of, right? And so there's three truths that I want to pull out uh, from this, uh, from these four verses. Number one is simply this, that the foundation of our community is Jesus. What Paul is doing here is he's making an appeal to forgive. He's making an appeal for people to be unified again, to be reconciled. And, and from, I want you to notice where he starts his appeal. Look at verse one again. He says, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy... Right, the, the, based on your translation, it might be therefore if or if then. Right, the Greek, the Greek phrase that, that Paul is trans, that we're translating the English there, that's an accurate translation. It should read if then. But in the grammar, I want you to know uh, the grammar in the Greek, there's some wordplay going on here that actually means what it means is since then. Right, Paul's not, he's not saying, well, maybe this stuff is possible. Maybe this is your reality. He's saying, no, this, it's like an if then statement. If this is true, then this will happen, except there's certainty that this is true. Right? And he lists four things that, that, that are absolutely certain truths in his mind, four things that make the community and fellowship of the local church unique. And the difference in every single one of these four things is Jesus Christ. The first he lists or is this, that if there's any encouragement in Christ. Let me ask you this this morning. If you're in Jesus Christ today, if you, if you belong to him, does that not encourage you? Does it not encourage you that you are his this morning? 
does not encourage you that you have been forgiven, that all of your sins have been wiped free. Does not encourage you that you've been, you've been redeemed. Does it not encourage you that you've been reconciled back to the God who created you. Does not encourage you that you don't need to fear death. I don't know if you heard of the interview that uh, Kirk Cousins, who was the quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings, if he gave this week that got him in some hot water. Uh, Kirk Cousins is a fine quarterback. He's not a great speaker. Um, he should probably keep that in mind when answering questions from now on. Uh, but he, he expressed something uh, that the media took and just ran with it and, of course, have used it to criticize him because they don't understand where he's coming from, right? And what I'm talking about is he was interviewed about how the fear or not a lack thereof that he would feel playing football this fall in a pandemic. And one of the lines that he said that gathered most attention was, if I die, I die. I'm completely at peace with that. Now, what they don't understand, because he's, again, a quarterback, not a public orator, is that Kirk Cousins is a follower of Jesus. And he knows, deep down, that every follower of Jesus does, if the worst thing that can happen to me is I die, I'm at peace with it. Because of what Jesus Christ has prepared for me. Right? Paul, like, does it not encourage you this morning that your eternity is secure? Does it not encourage you that you've been bought and sealed by Jesus? Does it not encourage you, right, that, that, that what is waiting for you is better than what is behind? Does it not encourage you that right now Jesus promises that he is preparing a place for us? Does that not fill your soul with encouragement? Of course it does. And all this comes from Jesus. The second reality he states is that there's a consolation of love. This is the love of Jesus. This is the love of God made evident through Jesus. And, and, and Paul's argument is this. Does that not console you? Right? Is it not a consolation to your soul this morning that no matter what you face today, that God is with you? No matter what you face, that God is for you. That no matter what you face, he's working through it. He's working in you. That no matter what you face, God loves you today. No matter how many times you failed him, no matter how many times you sinned, that the blood of Jesus is sufficient for you. No matter how many times you, you let him down, he picks your face back up and forgives you. No matter what, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Does that not console your soul today? Of course it does. He then says if there's fellowship with the Spirit, the word fellowship there is the word koinonia, which means a deep connection and deep intimacy deep partnership and this is what the fellowship of the church is described as in the new testament but foundationally right that is that first it's first that that it, that connection is experienced by a believer with the holy spirit and when you receive jesus christ as lord you're not you're not just brought near to god right? you're not just in his vicinity the holy spirit comes and dwells in you takes up residence in your soul and that his spirit then encourages you and convicts you and guides you and leads you and comforts you and equips you and empowers you to bring him more and more glory of course of course in jesus christ we have great fellowship with the spirit he made it possible on the cross and then lastly he says this of any affection and mercy and I want you to know, whenever you read something from ancient times, including the scriptures, that whenever they speak of emotions, the strongest and most passionate emotions were always described as coming from your bowels. They're feeling them kind of in your gut, right? And I, and I get this. I understand this because every now and then, in the midst of all the chaos, right, one of my children would do something that's incredibly moving and adorable, and where I feel it is right here in my gut. Just feel it there, Right? The word translated affection or tenderness in your Bibles is a word that means felt deeply in the bowels. 
And what you're being told there is that Jesus Christ has such a great affection for you that he feels it deep in his gut. And what that translates to you is his mercy being poured out on you. Are you not thankful this morning for the mercy of Jesus? That we are not punished as we deserve. And the argument Paul is building here is that with these realities, that the community that is formed by the church has all it needs to be unique, has all it needs to be set apart and different because we have Jesus. And what comes with Jesus is encouragement. What comes with Jesus is consolation. What comes with Jesus is fellowship with the Spirit. What comes with Jesus is affection and mercy. And these things change our lives. They are to change us, and they absolutely are to change the community we formed. Which is the second truth we're going to pull out. Which the argument that he makes is that we are now called to live out what Jesus has made possible. Jesus Christ has reconciled us to God. He's, he's united us together under his grace. And verses 1 and 2 are an if-then statement. Verse 1, if these things are true, and they are, then verse 2, let these four things be true as well. So look at verse 2. Make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. I want you to see he lists four realities in verse 1, and then he ties four different applications to them in verse 2. And so the first reality is that we have encouragement in Jesus Christ, and then what Paul says is because of that, we should think the same way. The phrase in there is that we should be like-minded. Now, let me ask you a question. What does being like-minded have to do with being in Christ? Well, how about this? Being in Christ, we know the truth about ourselves, don't we? We know that we're all sinners, that every one of us is an unfinished product, right? That none of us have arrived, and that all of us have been shown amazing, endless, unending grace in Jesus Christ. If we belong to Christ, it means we also know that which is most important because he's told us in his word it, it, what's most important is us getting more of Jesus and pointing others to him because he's the answer. And so remembering that together, right? Remembering that together means remembering we belong to him keeps us united and based off his truths, right? We can see the most important things in life the exact same way because he's laid out for us what they are. If we belong to him, we have encouragement in him, we can think the same way on the most important matters. Secondly, he says if there's any consolation as love, we should have the same love for one another. Jesus himself said they'll... They'll know you're in disciples by the way you love one another. First John 4, we love because why? Because he first loved us. The reason that we can love one another, the reason we even know what love is, is because it's been shown to us in Jesus. And that love from him frees me to love people who are really hard to love, right? It frees me, it frees me to love people who don't deserve my love. It frees me to love people who hurt me. Why? Because I'm really hard to love, and because I don't deserve the love of God. And because I've hurt Jesus and he still loves me. And understanding that empowers and enables me to show that same love to others. Thirdly, if there's fellowship with the spirit, we can be united in that same spirit. And having the same exact Holy Spirit inside each of us points us all in the same direction to what God wants. And we get a big clue what that is in John chapter 17 when Jesus is praying for us, for the believers that will come after his disciples. That includes those of us in, in this room. And he says, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through your word. And listen to what he prays for us. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. 
God has united his children through the work of Jesus and through the gift of his Holy Spirit. And his desire is that we express that unity through our community and through our fellowship with one another. And the reason why that's crucial that we have the Holy Spirit, because if we follow his leading, that means we will be quick to forgive others when they hurt us, because they will. It means we'll be willing to give others the benefit of doubt when we don't have the whole story, which we often don't. It means we'll be one of those people who just lets hurts roll right off our back and not hold on to them. We'll be people who give no room to bitterness, and we'll be people who think of others first, because that is what the Spirit points us to. Again and again and again, the Holy Spirit will remind us the best way for us to be filled is by being empty of ourselves. Fourthly, if there's any affection and mercy in Jesus, then we can be intent on one purpose. Man, talk to any and, any and every employee, any and every athlete, any and every student, any and every subordinate, and they'll tell you this, that if their boss or their coach or their teacher, their authority cares about them, they know they genuinely care about them, it's so much easier to do what they say. So much easier to obey. And we have a king, we have a Lord who feels in his bowels great affection and love for us. No one has ever been better to us than Jesus. And when we understand that, we, that frees us up to live for his mission, to live for his purpose, to live for his calling on our lives. It frees us up to joyfully obey him. We can love him and love others and serve the world. Why? Because he told us to. We can make it our aim to bring him glory by spreading his gospel and making disciples. Why? Because he said to. Because his affection and his mercy inspire us to live for the things he wants us to live for and be united on those same purposes. Third truth I want to pull out from this paragraph in Philippians 2 is simply this, that the mindset of Christian community is others first. So Paul's laying out this argument that God has created his church to be a community of people who know him, who love him, experience him first, and then with that foundation, we can be of the same mind, we can be loving to one another, we can be united in the spirit, and live for the same purpose. That alone sets Christian community apart. But man, it's those last two verses that Roxanne read. This last call in this paragraph that makes this altogether unique and unable to be found anywhere else. This tremendously difficult calling with a tremendously awesome blessing. Look at verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. Check the language again. Do nothing. There's not a lot of wiggle room there, is there? Do nothing for selfish gain. Do nothing for, for selfish am, uh, ambition. Do nothing that's just for you. Consider somebody else, consider all others as more important than you. Look out for the interests of others. Don't just be looking out for you. Man, can, can you find two verses that stand in greater contrast to our current environment than those? So the question is, how is this possible? Well, if you belong to Christ, you know the answer. The answer is and always will be Jesus. Look at verse 5. He writes, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, by taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. Because we have a king, because we have a savior who put us first, that compels us. 
that equips us, that inspires us, and yes, it even enables us to do the same. Time and time and time again, Jesus is teaching us, his word is teaching us, his spirit is teaching us, the best way for us to be filled is to empty ourselves. And in the context of the local church, God has created a community that has Jesus at the center and is called to have the same mind, to be loving towards one another, to be united and all rowing towards the same goal. While we do life together, we are called to look out for each other first. And so I want to ask, will we ever be perfect at this? No, we won't. Ever at a time in FBN's history, we look at these verses and be like, we have got it. We are this community. No, we won't. But Jesus gives us all we need to continually strive for it. And most importantly, he gives us all the grace we need to, when we fail, first for ourselves and then for others who hurt us. Because in a world full of counterfeit community and shallow connection, in a world where people are canceled and tossed out at the first sign of disagreement, in a world where relationships are dropped the second they stop serving me, in a world where everyone is looking for connection and few are finding it, the community that Jesus has called his church to is our single greatest advantage when it comes to loving people and pointing them to Jesus. It is one of the greatest gifts he's ever given his people. So what do we do with this? Well, first we have to start here. Number one, we mu you must surrender your life to Jesus. Notice I'm not saying believe in Jesus. I'm saying surrender your life to Jesus. You cannot experience the community of the local church without being a part of it. That should be uh, pretty obvious. And Jesus is the head. The church is his body. These, those, those two are inseparable. And we just read how Jesus set aside his divinity and how he became human and he died in our place. And he did so in order to forgive the sins of any who would believe in him, any who would call on him to, to forgive their sins and give them eternal life. And so we call on you today to not just believe in him, but also to surrender. I understand when I say that some of you might be listening, you've never believed in him and you've never surrendered. And some of you may have believed and accepted his free grace and forgiveness, but you've never surrendered. And I need you to know when I say surrender your life to Jesus, that, that's going to cost you something. It will cost you. To surrender to Jesus means that you're going to give up your kingship. You don't get to call the shots anymore. You're not in charge. To surrender to Jesus means you're surrendering to him as Lord. You have to do what he says. You're going you're gonna to obey him. To surrender to Jesus means you're going to sign up to fight your flesh and your desires and your sinful nature the rest of your life on the things that do not please him. To surrender to him means you're going to sacrifice. There's going to be cost involved for you to sacrifice for his kingdom and his mission. But listen to me. Every single cost is worth everything that you will gain. Because when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you get him. And you get life and life for all eternity and you get his church and you get his community and you get his mission and you get his purpose and you find your identity in him and you get his grace. I'm betting this morning there's somebody within the sound of my voice, whether here or online, who's been looking for purpose their entire life. And you know this morning, you know today that something is missing and you just haven't been able to place it. You haven't been able to figure out what it is. There's a longing in your soul that's never been filled. And I want to tell you, the best way for that to be filled is for you to empty yourself. Because you're not the answer. Jesus is. He's the one you've been looking for. He's the one who's been calling to you. He's the one who created you. He's the one who placed you. He's the one who's pursued you. He's the one who's reaching out to you right now, this very moment. And so let today be your day of salvation. Let today be your day of victory and freedom as you surrender your life to his loving command. You've tried it long enough. Why don't you let him have a shot? Secondly, we must lay aside self. 
don't know how update you are in current events or just kind of the way the world is right now. But man, you don't have to look very far to understand that recent events have highlighted what happens when everyone is looking out for themselves. And this is not sustainable, by the way. Marriages, families, teams, companies, yes, countries, societies, none of them can survive if everyone looks out for themselves. And the church of Jesus is no different. But we humans are sinners, however, and so we're bent to this. We're bent to look out for ourselves first. And 2020 has proven undeniably that we are, as a people, way too impressed with our own opinions. And what we lose sight of in that is that everyone else is a person too. That everyone else has a story and they all involve pain. And we can get so self-centered, we can get so wrapped up in our own deal and so focused on our own issues that we begin to believe that we're the only ones with genuine pain. And so when the world isn't dropping everything to fix my pain, when the world isn't dropping everything to listen to my voice and give me my platform, we lash out. And there's a great secret in life. We've shared it a few times with you already today that the best way to have a fulfilled life, the best way for you to be filled is by emptying yourself. There is a tremendous balm for the pain in your soul. It's a tremendous feeling of your bucket of joy when you put others first. Because we are healed in the process of being agents of healing to others. Some of the greatest ministries that have ever been formed have been formed from the deepest pains. Some of the greatest relationships that have ever happened have started with incredible reconciliation and grace and forgiveness given. The community that Jesus calls us to as a church comes with this prerequisite. It cannot now or ever be about us. And the second it is, we mess up his design. And so if we're going to be a part of this, right, we need to, if we're going to be a part of families, we're going to be part of, of any kind of community at all that, that we want to experience this, we need to ask the Lord to show us where it is we're being selfish. Because I guarantee you, as a human being, there's somewhere in your life you're being selfish. Pray and ask him where it is today. Is it in your marriage? Is it in the expectations you bring in your home? Is it in your career? Is it the way you deal with your kids or the way you deal with your parents? Is it in other relationships? Is it in the church? How is it that you have carried a selfish mindset into some relationship in your life? And just as Jesus Christ laid down his divinity, we need to lay down the kingdom of self. We can't be for us and about us only. And then lastly, we need to seek this out. You need to seek out community. Maybe this sounds good to you and you want to experience this type of community, right? Man, this sounds great. I want more of this in my life. I'm going to be honest with you, though. This takes a lot of time and it takes effort. And I want you to know right now, I am, we are thrilled. I am thrilled. We are thrilled that you are here this morning. We're thrilled that you have taken part in this gathering of believers to worship the Lord. This is an important part, an important part of how God has designed his church that we do this very thing. But if you never, ever go beyond a Sunday morning experience... You will never experience community. And if you enjoy your time here and you're going to keep coming back, I want you to know we will continually push you more and more and more into some kind of group experience. I mentioned to you the word koinonia earlier. That's the Greek word for fellowship. And I don't know about you, but growing up in church where I did, uh, that word fellowship, I, I had too limited a view of it. Because fellowship, what we, did, what we did was we had church fellowships. You know what that was? That was when the entire church would gather in some fellowship hall, and we'd all have a meal that everybody pitched into, and, and you know, there's like 180 people sitting in this room, and then you leave, and that's what a fellowship is. By the way, those have value, right? They have value. We've done those around here before, and we're going to do them again when it's responsible to do so. 
But what I want you to understand is if you go study the New Testament, when that word koinonia is used, when fellowship is used, the context is always when smaller groups of people are gathering together. And I want you to know, we want you to love Sunday morning gatherings around here. Like I said, it's a crucial part of what God has commanded his church to do. But I never, ever, ever want you to treat this experience as a finish line. Will you go here? Are you a college student? You have another home church after you're out of college? Or you, will you end up somewhere else in life? I don't care. Listen to me. Get in group life. Seek out community. 2020 has presented uh, some unique connection challenges, hasn't it? But in other ways, it's given us some pretty cool opportunities. Right? It's not responsible to gather a whole bunch of people in a small space right now. The great news, I'm not talking about gathering many people in a small space. I'm talking about gathering small groups of people in spaces. And there's two bits of really exciting news I have here in this front. Number one, we are praying through uh, our group life strategy here at FBN. Currently, we have our Sunday morning groups. You might call them Sunday school classes. Uh, they aren't able to meet in the three-service schedule, and they, they have created new times to meet. Um, some ones on like Tuesday afternoon, uh, a couple on Sunday evenings. I love the ability um, uh, for, these, for these leaders to roll with this. The college group's going to meet uh, at 1.30 in the afternoon starting next week, right? I love that these groups are meeting. I love that, that people have seen value in them and still pursuing those times. We have D groups that never stop meeting through this entire thing. I love that both are still meeting. But what we're praying about, what we're working towards is the third offering, which we hope will be just a multitude of many, many, many smaller gatherings. Right? And we want to learn from our mistakes in the past. Right? We tried uh, what we called small groups in the past. The problem was they weren't small. Right? Uh, they were large groups. Um, we never gave uh, account for uh, family size and how many families with seven kids could all be in the same group. Right? And so I, the only thing I can assure you is this. We will never call them small groups because I don't want that file to pop up in your head, all right? All we're doing right now, all we're asking you to do is pray. Pray for wisdom as we think through this. Pray for wisdom as we launch it in the near future. Pray for uh, whether or not you should say yes to one of these experiences. I'm going to tell you now, I'm going to tell you to say yes to group life. The second bit of really exciting news is this. You don't need us to organize this for you. Just do it. You can have someone over today. You can have a bonfire tonight. You can, have, you can go to a game together. You can host a game night. You can have somebody over for dinner. If you know or see a new person to FBN, invite them to something. If you're somebody who's newer here, take the risk and step out and invite someone to your place. Most of y'all are adults, okay? You don't need us to hold your hand for this. What you need is to prioritize this and set aside time for it because while this will benefit you greatly, it's not just for you. Greg Gilbert is the pastor of a church called Third Avenue Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, I don't know him, but I was watching him speak once on a trip he took to a country in Asia that is uh, closed off to Christianity. Um, Christianity is quote-unquote illegal. It's not totally persecuted in this country, but they deemed it as illegal. Um, and so he was surprised on his trip to find, of all things, a Christian bookstore. It was operating in the public, open for anybody to go in, and he was stunned by it. And so the, his missionary friend that took him there said, well, let's go in and look around. And he gave him a challenge. He said, I want you to look around this Christian bookstore and tell me what you don't see. And so Gilbert went in and he looked around. And he, there's some books by Billy Graham. And there's some books by John Piper. And there's, there's some books on uh, money and Christian friendships. And there's devotional books. And there's books on Bible study. And he's like, man, I, I just, it looks like everything we'd have in a Christian bookstore back in the States. 
And the, his missionary friend said, look again. So he walked around. He said, I, I'm still not getting it. He said, you know what you don't find in here? You won't find any books on the church. Because all those books have been banned. All those books have been censored. None of those are legal in this country. So what the government has learned, as long as Christians are focused on themselves, as long as they're focused on their own devotion life with the Lord, as long as their focus is on their personal relationship with God and nothing else, they don't matter to the government at all. They don't form any kind of threat. But the moment they start gathering together, the moment they start worshiping together, the moment they start forming community, that's when they all of a sudden begin heightening their allegiance to their King Jesus, and that's what the government doesn't want. So they banned it. Listen, man, we've got a world full of people who are desperate for connection, for hope, for identity and purpose. They're so desperate for it, they're looking in all the wrong places for it. And we've been called by our king to change that world, to be a light for his glory and to point and lead others to him. And so it should be no surprise to us that he has designed his church to gather. He's designed his church to love. He's designed his church to form community. He's, he's designed his church to be united. He's designed his church to take on the kingdom of hell hand in hand. And so if we punt on this, if we ignore the community that God calls us to be and to form, we are ignoring the greatest advantage that we have over what the world offers. But if we pursue the community he calls us to, we are not only increasing our brightness of light for him, we are enriching our own lives. So let's get to it. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful that you did not design your church to be a lecture hall. That you did not design your church for us to come, sit in a room, uh, sing a little bit, hear someone talk, and then leave and let that be it. God, you designed your church to be a community. You designed us to gather. You designed us to know and be known. You designed us to share life together, to encourage one another, to build one another up. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us overcome just the, the weirdness and the hurdles of, of 2020 and the pandemic and all the issues come and, and get to forming these communities in our lives. God, if there's anybody in the sound of my voice who's never surrendered their life to Jesus, I pray that they would do so right now so they could experience the forgiveness of their sins. They could experience the gift of eternal life. They could experience the flooding of your grace in this moment. And then from that foundation, Lord, for those of us who have that, would you put your finger on the places in our lives where we have a really selfish mindset right now? Put your finger on the places in our lives that we've been, we've been looking out for our own interests first. That we haven't been considering others more important than ourselves. That we have been embittered because of what people aren't doing for us instead of looking for what we can do for them. And then God, lastly, I ask that you would give us all, as we think through this, as we pray for this, would you give us all right now one tangible step, one idea that we could pursue community, one step to take this week that we could pursue this in our lives. An idea that we could do it, a person we can invite over, one risk. Lord, and give us the obedience to follow you in it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before the band comes and leads us through a song, a closing, or actually, they're not going to come lead us through a song. But before we dismiss you, uh, we're going to give you a chance.
uh, to just wrestle with the Lord, kind of what he has put on your heart, what he is, what he is wrestling in your mind. There's some guidance for you on the screens, um, but before um, we move on to other things, we're going to give you some time to pray with him over what he might be doing in your life this morning. <laughs> 